Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ultimate Sports Mashup, where we discuss insane sports matchups that would only happen in our wildest dreams. We each select one of the very best sports teams in history and match them against each other to see who would come out on top. From the pros to the underclassmen, football, basketball, and everything in between, with a totally even playing field before us and our imaginations to help us guide our respective claims, who do you think would be the ultimate champion? Montana fakes, throws, has a man open. They move to the right side, they throw, back to the end zone, touchdown! Kansas City, Travis Kelsey! Garoppolo, in the pocket, he's being hit, he's being wrapped up, he's being, throws the ball away, it'll be an illegal touch and nothing else, it'll go as a sack, break the shark, Clark! Well, congratulations, the youngest player ever to be MVP in the league, and the youngest player to be... MVP in Super Bowl. Both of those, that's amazing record. Congratulations, young man. Thank you, Kansas City. We did it, baby. And welcome to the Ultimate Sports Mashup. My name is Jay, your host, and as always, sitting across from me, I am joined by Cameron Slate. How you doing today, Cam? I'm doing good, Jay. Good to talk to you, man. This is going to be a fun one. You know, we've got baseball is finally in swing, so you know I love baseball. So we're back in the NFL uh, and with some familiar teams. I think a couple of crowd favorites. Uh, so I'm excited about this episode. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this episode. It's been uh, well, it's been quite a while since we've been back to the NFL. So, and we are bringing a couple of all-time greats, I think. You know, you know, we've we've danced around with some other, you know, teams that are well known for this reason or that reason, but these teams are well known because they were the best of the best in their given years. We are talking two Super Bowl champions. Two really uh you know, likable guys in Patrick Mahomes and uh, Joe Montana. So I think this one's going to be really fun. Two really uh, historic franchises, I think. I know Kansas City hasn't had as much success as San Francisco, but we all know that's changing very soon. Obviously, Kansas City just won their Super Bowl in 2019. So yeah, two teams, um, 
both, I think that you're going to be a little bit surprised in some of the numbers we break down just how good these teams really were in their respective years. Yeah, so today I'm going to be representing the 1981 San Francisco 49ers. This was Joe Montana's first Super Bowl win and first Super Bowl appearance. And Cam is going to be representing the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs, obviously a very recent memory. Yeah, this one's still really, uh, really new for me. You know, it felt like they should have won uh, last year too, you know, against Tom Brady, but, um, or I guess this year I should say, but yeah, I don't know. I guess Pat Mahomes just fell a little bit short, uh, but this 2019 season, he did not fall short. He went all the way, led his team to victory, just like Joe Montana did for the San Francisco 49ers. So why don't we get into a little bit of the head-to-head stats and just uh, kind of the history of these two teams and, um, you know, what they've gone into so far in this NFL history. Yeah, so these teams, NFL teams, you know, I mean, there there are less of them, so you have a lot more head-to-head matchups than, say, you know, college basketball, for example. Our last two episodes, you know, were a big, fat zero and zero against one another, but the Chiefs and the 49ers do have an all-time record. They've played 13 times total. All-time series is tied 7-7, seven to seven, so that is an even 500 for both sides. Kansas City is a big, fat 1-0 and against San Francisco in the playoffs, having met in the Super Super Bowl in 2019, of course. Yeah, that's kind of the cool part about this is uh, a seven and seven, man. That's awesome. That's perfect. That's exactly what we want going into a mashup because then our simulator will kind of give us the end all be all and what this uh, series would look like. Absolutely. And like you mentioned before, you know, historically, these teams have had much different success rates. You know, San Francisco has five total Super Bowl championships, Kansas City sitting at two. And like you said, that could definitely change in the near future but how today's episode is going to break down is we are going to give you the lowdown on both of these teams what you need to know what their stories are what was great about them you know sort of their their rosters coaches the whole nine yards and then in the back half of the episode we're going to get into the debate itself we're going to tell you why our respective teams would beat the other team if they met on a football field today And then at the end of the episode, we are going to punch our teams into the What If Sports Simulator to decide the ultimate sports mashup winner for today's episode. You ready to go, Cam? Yeah, let's do it, buddy. I'm going to tell you all about the 1981 San Francisco 49ers. First off, record 13-3, and obviously very good, division finish, first in the NFC West. Sort of the basics of this team is... They were a zero to hero team, you know, two years prior to this season, they went two and 14, they went six and 10 the season prior, and then 13 and three in the season that we're talking about today. When they went two and 14 was the year that they hired a new coach. They got a new quarterback the year they went six and 10. Then when they went 13 and three, they had a bunch of rookie defensive backs going to be telling you all about today. Really, this was an instant rebuild you know hearing all of these players retroactively talk about the team they are still in shock and how fast they went from bad to the top of the league you know from that bad to that good will make anybody's head spin so this was really an incredible team for a franchise today we know as you know one of the all-time great franchises but then was laughed at was if you were a 49ers fan you were not showing it off so this this 1981 championship team turned that around completely. 
you know, signaled a completely new era for not just the 49ers, but San Francisco, I think. So let me tell you a little bit about their playoff success. So obviously they won the Super Bowl to get there. They won in the divisional round 38-24 to versus the New York Giants. This was Phil Simms at quarterback, but this was Lawrence Taylor's rookie year. Uh, but they totally dominated the 9-7 and team. It wasn't really even a contest. They won the conference championship 28-27 versus the Dallas Cowboys. Now, this is a big game. If you don't know why it's a big game, all I need to really say is it's the catch game. It is the game where Joe Montana made his presence known to the world. This is the game that took down the Dallas Cowboys dynasty. This was Joe Montana running out of the pocket, three defenders in his face, making a throw to the back of the end zone to get to Dwight Clark as he jumps higher than I have that white guy has ever jumped before in his life to be able to make that catch to win the NFC championship game. I had never seen this game before studying this team and bringing it to today's mashup, but I, I and I thought, you know, it was it was all hype, right? You know, like how can the catch actually live up to it? But watching that game all the way through, still knowing the results and seeing that catch and seeing that stadium explode and the like I was vibrating, you know, like it was an amazing game and an amazing moment in NFL history that I have a whole new respect for. Oh man, me too. I, you know, what's funny is, I don't know if it's funny or sad, you know, we're, we're sports guys and we pride ourselves in knowing the great games and stuff. And of course we heard about the catch, but the first time I even saw a glimpse of this game, it was actually a Gatorade commercial and they were running that last play there where Dwight Clark caught the touchdown in the back of the end zone and they were saying well without Gatorade without proper hydration this may not have ever happened and then it showed him actually not making the catch so that was the first time that I even saw this but to watch the whole game through man yeah this was a true changing of the guard for at least a decade anyways obviously a Troy Aikman coming back in the 90s with uh with Emmitt Smith obviously but Of course, they had to win the actual Super Bowl to put the stamp on an amazing season. They would beat the Cincinnati Bengals 26-21. The score was 20-7 at halftime. However, a team led by all-pro quarterback Ken Anderson and all-star rookie wide receiver Chris Collinsworth would mount a comeback that was eventually stifled at the goal line in the fourth quarter. This was an incredibly close game by the end of it, but it truly came down to a last second defensive effort. And, you know, I'm obviously Joe Montana is the big name here, but there is definitely going to be a lot to be said about this amazing 49ers defense. And they were the reason that they ended up winning that Super Bowl. So let me get into the head coach and then give you the lowdown on the roster. So head coach Bill Walsh. He started in the college ranks, a receiver coach for California, then defensive back coach for Stanford. He jumped to the Oakland Raiders as a running back coach before becoming an assistant coach in Cincinnati under legendary coach Paul Brown. 
this is where he would learn the West Coast offense. There in Cincinnati is where he sort of perfected it. He tinkered with it along with quarterback Virgil Carter. And Virgil Carter didn't have the strongest arm in the NFL, so the horizontal style of play was much better suited for him. And so that's what allowed the West Coast offense to really flourish. And that's what he would bring into San Francisco where it would become the wide-known style of play that it is today. After Cincinnati, he would jump back to college as the head coach for Stanford for two years before being brought on by the 49ers. The year of his arrival, like I mentioned, 1979, the team went 2-14 and as they had done the same exact thing last year, 2-14 and in two back-to-back years, truly bottom of the league but yet they kept Bill Walsh on they believed in him and they still believed in him after they went six and ten the next season and obviously they would go on to win multiple Super Bowls under Bill Walsh and now something interesting I found out about Walsh that I thought I would share today is his coaching tree so to speak now this is the the coaches that have worked underneath him that have gone on to become head coaches or assistant coaches or, or done things in the NFL. Through this, you can kind of see the influence that Walsh has had. So assistants, I, I just pulled some highlights here. Assistants include Mike Holgram and Ray Rhodes, among others. And then to talk about a little bit about assistants that were under them, you know, Rhodes and Holgram, obviously both head coaches at various points. Rhodes assistants include names like Sean Payton, John Harbaugh, Mike McCarthy, and Bill Callahan, while Holmgren had assistants such as John Gruden, Jim Zorn, and perhaps most notably, Andy Reid. So this leads me to the conclusion that Bill Walsh is Andy Reid's coaching granddaddy. That means (laughs) that anything Andy Reid has ever thought of Bill Walsh is already way ahead of him. You know, it's going to be a classic. Exactly. He's going to be a classic. You know, he's 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 going to be two steps ahead of him the whole time. Just thought I'd get that get that little extra <laughs> X factor in there before I really get started here. But let me tell you about the roster here a little bit. The offensive line, I just wanted to just quick give these guys a shout out because, you know, they obviously never never get enough love and being a Colts fan, obviously Quentin Nelson is <laughs> pretty close to my favorite player ever, so I, I got to respect the offensive line. All five guys of the 49ers started all 16 games. You had left tackle Dan Audick, left guard John Ayers, center Fred Quillen, right tackle Fawnhorse, but the right guard was the pro bowler of the season, Randy Cross. He made the pro bowl three times in his entire 13-year career that he spent with San Francisco. Now the duo behind them, you have fullback Earl Cooper in his second season in the NFL. He had 98 rushes for 330 yards, but he had 51 catches for 477 yards. I have never seen a fullback that had more receiving yards than running yards, but that is incredible. So Earl Cooper is definitely a name to be able to keep your eye on, but More impressively, he had 567 yards and four receiving touchdowns the year prior. So this guy is truly a receiving threat. But you also had running back Ricky Patton, 543 rushing yards and four touchdowns on the ground. As you can tell, this was a passing offense. 
shit, man, when you got a quarterback like Montana, I guess I'd throw the ball as much as I could too, right? Yeah, exactly. It worked. You know, it's hard to it's hard to blame them. And they didn't have terrible rushing ranks either. Then you had wide receiver Freddie Solomon. This was the height of his career, his best year ever. He started with Miami before moving on to the 49ers. This year, he had 59 catches for 969 yards. That's good for 16 and a half yards per catch. And he had a total of eight receiving touchdowns. So Freddie Solomon is a weapon you are going to have to watch out for. Then you have the big guy, wide receiver Dwight Clark. The, he is the catch guy. You know, I did not know of anything about him before researching this team, but you know, you can tell that he's a tall guy, 6'4", 212. Seeing him and seeing documentary footage of him with Joe, I mean, these guys were vibing together you know they were definitely very much on the same page before Jerry Rice came to the 49ers it was Dwight Clark he was the guy this was his third year in the league also his best year ever just like Solomon he's a two-time pro bowler and would be an all pro the next year in 1982 he had 85 catches for 1,105 yards, four touchdowns, and notably, he had zero fumbles, so he is very safe with the ball. I'm going to say it's kind of cheesy to to make this comparison, but, you know, like you said, like Dwight Clark and Joe Montana were bros. You know, I mean, it, it seemed pretty instant. A lot of guys probably say that, but they're two guys that when you watch them play, you know for a fact they're on the same page, they trust each other, and it really is like Travis Kelsey and Pat Mahomes, too. You know, Kelsey was there first for a couple years before Mahomes, you know, a couple 800-yard seasons. Once Mahomes got there, they just clicked, and you don't put up those kind of numbers unless you really trust each other and, uh, you know, you're on the same page. So, yeah, I think that's a good comparison there. I was thinking about that while I was watching film. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too, despite the fact that he's a wide receiver as opposed to a tight end. I mean, Travis Kelsey is tight end in name only, I feel like. So uh, the comparison is pretty easy to make. I think, you know, these two, you know, both pairs really complete each other, and neither, nobody would have been the same without the other one, I think. To finish off the offense, though, quarterback Joe Montana, eight-time Pro Bowler in his career, three-time All-Pro, Hall of Fame inductee in the year 2000. This was his third year in the league where he would earn 3,565 yards passing, 19 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Then he would toss in 95 rushing yards for two rushing touchdowns. We'll be talking a little bit more about Joe Cool in just a little bit. Over to the defense, I'm going to talk defensive backs. You have strong safety Carlton Williamson, a rookie. He would be a future two-time pro bowler, would spend his entire career with San Francisco. Then you have cornerback, another rookie, Eric Wright, another future two-time pro bowler and one-time all-pro. He would also spend his entire career with San Francisco. Three interceptions and two fumbles recovered in this 81 season. Then you have pro bowler in 1981 as a rookie again, Ronnie Lott. He was an all-pro as well. He's a 10-time pro bowler in his career, five-time all-pro selection in his career, Hall of Fame inductee in the same year, in the year 2000. He had seven interceptions this year. Three of those interceptions were returned for touchdowns, two fumbles recovered, 
89 combined tackles. Then you have Dwight Hicks, the veteran of the group with only a couple years underneath his belt. He would be a four-time Pro Bowler, including 1981. He had nine interceptions, a league high, 239 interception return yards, one interception return for a touchdown. He had four fumble recoveries, and he had a fumble recovery return for a touchdown as well. Then moving on to the bigger guys, you have linebacker Jack Hacksaw Reynolds. He was in his 11th year, a true veteran, spent most of his career with the Rams, but a two-time pro bowler. He has started in 22 playoff games during the course of his career, so a man with lots of experience in big games, and I'll be talking a lot more about him in just a little bit. And getting to the defensive line, I had to give a shout out to pro bowler Fred Dean, four-time pro bowler in his career, two-time all-pro, a true pass rush specialist. He was a Hall of Fame inductee in the year 2008. He was traded from the Chargers in 1981 due to contract disputes. Some have retroactively called this the biggest blunder the Charger franchise has ever committed because he would go on to be the nfc defensive player of the year in 1981 he had 12 sacks in his 11 games with the season so fred dean is a name that you are going to want to remember but that is going to sum up the roster of the 1981 san francisco 49ers okay yeah big man fred dean definitely was watching a lot of film on him and uh yeah, man, I don't know how you, you, you trade away a guy like that. I guess sometimes franchises make the wrong decisions, but, uh, you know, that one that one's probably still stinging, I would imagine. Yeah, the, especially given the Chargers were in the AFC championship game that season, and... You you could have used a you could have used a pass rusher against all pro quarterback Ken Anderson. Yeah, I think that would have <laughs> that would have definitely came in handy. But you know, for your sake, I'm glad that you got Fred Dean to uh to solidify your defense. And uh, so now it's my turn to go through the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs. So they boasted a record of 12 and four. They finished first in the AFC West division, and kind of the story of the team. Uh, they lost in the AFC Championship. 31 to 37 the year before to the New England Patriots. Uh, the Chiefs had everything going for them. The number one offense, they had the league MVP in Pat Mahomes, but they couldn't quite get the job done in 2018. So needless to say, Kansas City needed to make changes and you know they were mostly on the, on the defensive side of the ball. They released star safety Eric Berry, but quickly replaced him with the Honey Badger, one of my favorite uh, defenders, uh, Tyron Matthew, and cornerback Bashad Breeland. They also traded for a big man, uh, my big man, defensive end Frank Clark from the Seattle Seahawks. They started 4-0. They were scoring a ton of points. The defense was struggling a little bit, but then they oddly started to to struggle in their next seven games, going 3-4 and four and 1-3 and three at home in Arrowhead, which if you've kept up with this, this Chiefs team the last two, three seasons, you know that they don't lose an arrowhead. So for them to go one and three, that was definitely a, you know, a cause for the panic button. But you know, not to fear, you've got Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes. The Chiefs quickly turned things around, put together a nice stretch, winning eight games in a row leading up to the Super Bowl. Well, what can you say? I mean, during that one and three stretch, they did lose to the uh, Indianapolis Colts led by Jacoby Brissett. So I I mean, what what do you expect? You know, I I put that somewhere in here, but I wasn't going to I wasn't going to fully address it, but I knew you would. 
It was a close game, man. Do you remember watching it at all or hearing about it at least? I absolutely remember watching that game. I I was fully on the train of Jacoby Brissett. (laughs) And I remember we were talking about it and and you were like, okay, listen, I trust this guy. He's not, you know, a, a, a gunslinger. You know, he's no Andrew Luck, but you trusted him. And what look what happened. You beat a Super Bowl champion. And, you know, the Colts had a pretty, pretty damn good team that year, too. Um, but so let's talk about uh, the AFC divisional round. So the Chiefs uh, get drawn up against the Houston Texans. So that's Deshaun Watson, the AFC South champions. They end up beating them 51 to 31. So it sounds like a high scoring game. Obviously, it was. You look at the numbers. But maybe what you didn't know is that Kansas City was down 21 to 0 after the first quarter. And... Houston actually scored a field goal right away in the second quarter. So they were down 24 to zero. And Pat Mahomes said, listen, I'm not, we're not going out like this, especially not to a weak ass Houston Texans team. (laughs) So they scored, uh, you know, basically 51 unanswered points. Pat Mahomes ended with 321 yards and five touchdowns. Next game after that, you know, that's a great win. You win by 20 after being down by 24. They win in the AFC Conference Championship game against the Tennessee Titans, 35-24. to So the Titans finished second in the AFC South, just behind the Houston Texans. And yeah, obviously, if you've kept up with Kansas City, if you're a fan, uh, they lost to them a couple times in the playoffs in the last couple of years. Uh, really, really close game. So this one, I'm sure, felt good. Um, there was a beautiful TD run by Mahomes just before the half that gave them the lead. And I just remember Tyron Matthew was just, that's that championship swagger. That's that championship swagger, boy. And that's like, that was the Honey Badger's thing, championship swagger. And Mahomes had it there. It was a nice 20-yard run, uh, you know, and his team never looked back, never lost the lead after that. And uh, Sammy Watkins, I won't say his name too much, but he was involved this year. He had a couple injuries, but he finished with 114 yards and one touchdown. And then now we're on to the Super Bowl, which ironically enough, the Chiefs were playing the 49ers. So the Chiefs beat the 49ers 31 to 20. Uh, Obviously, to get there, the 49ers had to be champions in their division. Uh, They were the NFC West champions. Again, kind of a common theme. Kansas City was down by 10. They were down 10 to 20 after the third quarter. And then they scored 21 unanswered points to win the game. So I don't know what it is. I don't this team scores a ton of points, but they're never really in the first quarter or in the second quarter. You know, they they are a second half team and they score in bunches very quickly. Uh Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins combined for 203 receiving yards in this game. So that's a little bit about their playoff run and their championship scores there. Let's go on to the coaches here. I've got three big ones. I'll try to go through them a little quicker. Um, We'll start with head coach Andy Reid. He got his start at Brigham Young University, BYU. That was his alma mater, um, and he started as a grad assistant in 1982. He spent nine years as an offensive line coach with four different college teams. uh, That's San Francisco State, Northern Arizona, UTEP, and Missouri. And then, you know, Reid finally got his start in the NFL with Green Bay as an assistant online coach and a tight ends coach. And he'd stay with them in that position from 92 to 96. Then he would go on to, I guess you would say this is an upgrade. It totally is an upgrade. He would go on to be the Packers QB coach and assistant coach from 97 to 98. And what do you know? He won a Super Bowl with uh, Brett Favre and and that great squad in 97. Then uh, he went on to the Philadelphia Eagles from 99 to 2012. I think this is, you know, especially people who grew up 
you know, in our era, you know, maybe they're close to our age. This is how we knew Andy Reid as a Philadelphia Eagle. He led the Eagles to five conference championship games. He only won one in 2004, but he made it to five of them. And then he made it to the Super Bowl as well, where Tom Brady, the king of all kings, beat Donovan McNabb in a really, really close game. And now we're on to, you know, basically present day. So this is his seventh season with Kansas City. Um, At this time, you know, this 12 and four season was tied for his winningest regular season in Kansas City. He did it twice before in 2016 and 2018. Um, But this just this year, obviously winning the Super Bowl was a little bit different for him. And then, you know, I just I got to leave you with this. If you didn't know, now, you know, he is regarded as one of the best head coaches and offensive minds in NFL history. Thanks to Bill Walsh, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Next to his mentor. Right. That's only fair. (laughs) Would you call him his his, uh, his granddaddy? Yeah, his coaching granddaddy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I have a feeling that one's going to stick. Um, all right, so we're going to go on to our defensive coordinator. So that's Steve Spagnola. He started his coaching career in the NCAA one year before Andy Reid. So these guys have both been around a long time. And he got his start as a grad assistant as well, but for the University of Massachusetts. Um, He joined like numerous teams in the NCAA, you know, six or seven teams. Um, And then Spagnuolo would go back to the NFL in 1999, where he would join the Philadelphia Eagles and he would be the defensive assistant, defensive backs coach, and then the linebackers coach over a slew of years. That would continue until about 2006. And then this is how I knew Steve Spagnuolo was with the New York Giants. So he signed with the New York Football Giants as a defensive coordinator, and he won the Super Bowl in 2007. After some success with the Football Giants, he endured a very, very poor stint with the then St. Louis Rams, going 10-38 and in three seasons as the head coach. Yikes. So that is not what you want <laughs> at all, especially in a competitive division like the Rams were in. And then after that, he bounced around a little bit before finding his new home in Kansas City um, as a defensive coordinator in 2019. So I was saying his first year of success, uh, it follows him a little bit. You know, he won a Super Bowl with the Giants his first year and then won a Super Bowl with Kansas City his first year joining the team too. So we'll see if those winning ways will help me in this ultimate mashup. But if that doesn't help, um, this will. My offensive coordinator here, Eric Bieniemy. This is a name definitely um, that floats around the NFL. It's going to be one of those that we talk about years to come. Bieniemy started his NFL career actually as a player um, with the San Diego Chargers in 1991. He was a running back. He played with the Cincinnati Bengals from 95 to 98 and then the Eagles in 99. So after his playing days didn't quite work, he started his coaching career in the NCAA in 2001 at a running backs coach as a running backs coach at Colorado and UCLA then from 2003 to 2005. But he broke into the NFL with the Vikings in 2006. Um, and then he went back to Colorado for a season. I think he maybe wanted to change his scenery, probably got a really good deal that he couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't turn down. But yeah, I'm sure he got a better deal in the NFL because then he made his way back where he joined the Chiefs in 2013 as a running backs coach. And, uh, you know, at this time now, 2019, this was his second season as offensive coordinator. So a quickly worked his way up, earned the trust of Andy Reid, and uh, he's got a Super Bowl in his back pocket now for a reason. So let's go on to the players now. So the coaches really make a difference, but 
Um, this roster of players here was super exciting to uh, to do some research on. So strong safety, first team all pro Tyron Matthew. So this was his seventh NFL season. Uh, he started with the Arizona Cardinals from 2013 to 2017, played one year uh, with the Texans in 2018, and uh, you know now with the Chiefs in this season here, 2019. One thing that was different for Tyron Matthew this season, he played all 16 games. He'll be the first one to tell you he gets injured quite a bit. Uh, that's just the name of the game. That's how it goes when you're five foot nine and you play balls to the walls. You're going to get injured. But he started in all 16 games, recorded 63 solo tackles, four interceptions, three tackles for loss, and 12 pass deflections. Then we'll go on to our right defensive end, Frank Clark. This was his first Pro Bowl selection. This was his fifth NFL season. He was previously with the Seattle Seahawks, like I mentioned before, from 2015 to 2018. And uh, they paid a, a pretty penny for him. A couple first round picks, second, third round picks. So um, the Chiefs knew what they were getting. Um, he started in 11 games, played in 14, 12 tackles for loss, 14 QB hits, one interception, three force fumbles, and one fumble recovery. So he may do with the time that he was given. Um, but yes, that's not his best year that he's ever had, but good enough for a Pro Bowl. Then we'll go on to the left defensive tackle, Chris Jones. He is also a Pro Bowler. This was his first Pro Bowl selection. Chris Jones is uh, standing at six foot six, three hundred ten pounds. Um, I'm sure there's not too many people on your 49ers roster um, that were six six, three ten. Um, but I'm sure, like I was saying before, the offensive line they have to be pretty beefy to take care of these guys. But big, big man. This was his fourth NFL season. He started in 12 games, played in 13, so didn't quite play the full season. Um, but he recorded 23 solo tackles, eight tackles for loss, 20 QB hits, got in the backfield quite a bit. He had one forced fumble and one fumble recovery. So that will do it for uh, my defense. Um, you know, those guys definitely set the tone. I'll go into it later. They had a really slow start, but came through in the end and uh, really helped out Mahomes in this offense. So let's get right into that. We've got our quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I don't need to say that he's a pro bowler because everybody should know. He'll probably be the pro bowler for the rest of his life. Um, this was his third NFL season, all with Kansas City, but it was only his second as a starter. So he started one game in his rookie season, and uh, it actually turned out to be in a playoff game. So talk about nerve-wracking. But, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes displayed toughness, um, showed that he was ready. They lost that game to Tennessee 21-22. to um, Mahomes holds a held a 11-3 record in 14 games this season. Remember, he dislocated his kneecap. Pretty nasty, gruesome knee injury. But, um, you know, he was able to only, he came back after two games, which everybody thought was weird. Definitely, um, you know, analysts and people were saying that he should not come back that soon. But what the hell do they know? The guy went out and balled out 4,031 yards, 26 touchdowns, five interceptions. So, um, you know, great year for Mahomes. They're obviously Pro Bowl worthy. Then we've got, uh, man, this guy, like, he's just lightning in a bottle, right? A lot of people will use that analogy. Tyreek Hill, Pro Bowler, little guy, little Tasmanian devil, but he is just, I don't know what he does. It, it's not just his speed. He's got great feet, um, but this was his fourth NFL season, all with Kansas City as well. Selected to the Pro Bowl all four years that he's been with Kansas City, and he was actually a first-team All-Pro 
in 2016 and 2018. Um, he started and played in 12 games. And in those 12 games, he recorded 860 yards, seven touchdowns, and just about 15 yards per reception. Definitely your deep ball threat. Um, definitely a guy who can sneak behind linebackers and make it to that that you know second and third level. And then we'll go on to kind of our jack of all trades this season, and that's McCole Hardman. Wide receiver by trade, but kick and punt returner as well. Um, pro bowler, and this was his rookie season. So he did a lot for this team. Obviously, I already mentioned wide receiver, kick return, punt return. He only started in five games, but he played in all 16. So he was reliable, a guy that you saw every game, but you know just didn't start every game. As a receiver, he collected 26 receptions on 41 targets, 538 yards, six touchdowns, and just about 21 yards per catch. And as far as kick and punt returns, he had 27 kickoff returns for 704 yards. He had one touchdown, and that touchdown was 104 yards. So a guy definitely, you know, he shows speed. McCole Hardman is a, a lengthy guy, long legs, really quick guy. And then uh, punt returns, obviously a lot harder to return, a lot harder to net yards on a punt return. He had 18 returns for 167 yards, and he had a long of 36 uh, he played a really, really big role in spreading out defenses, helping uh, Pat Mahomes find the open guy. And, and if it wasn't Hill or Kelsey, this third man usually was McCole Hardman. And speaking of Kelsey, let's go into the tight end, one of my favorite players to watch. Um, and in my opinion, the best tight end I've had the pleasure of watching, Travis Kelsey. Pro bowler, this was his seventh NFL season, all with Kansas City, started in all 16 games, which is great for a guy his size and especially a guy you know who was as active as he was on this Kansas City team things really ran through Kelsey even more than they did Mahomes I would argue um he was a pro bowler from 2015 to 2019 and a first team all pro in 16 and 2018 just like Tyreek he collected over a thousand yards so he had 1,229 yards five touchdowns, 76.8 yards per game, and he actually had a rush touchdown too. Kind of a jack of all trades um, as well. And then last but not least, I really had to mention uh, Damian Williams, excuse me, uh, the running back for the Chiefs. He came into his own later on. Um, You know, if you remember, LaShawn McCoy was on this team, kind of the veteran. You know, he had some experience with Andy Reid in Philly, stuff like that. Um, but Damian Williams started in six games, played in 11, ran into a couple injuries as well. And, uh, you know, he caught the ball as well. He was a good receiving back out of the backfield. I think that's why Andy Reid used him more than LaShawn McCoy and more than um, some of their other running backs that they had. In the first game against Houston, he had three total touchdowns. So he rushed two and caught one. And uh, in the game versus Tennessee, he had 89 total yards and one touchdown. So he actually had a better game than... Um, Derrick Henry, which you don't see that very often. And then in the Super Bowl, this is really, I think, what what helped Damian Williams stock. Um, and that was his 100 plus rush yards and two total touchdowns in the Super Bowl. Um, we'll get into that now, but that 49ers team had a great, great defense. And I think that is going to lead us perfectly into you know our debate style here, where you tell me how your 49ers defense is way too fucking good for my Chiefs offense. Yeah, a couple of interesting notes here before we get into our debate points. So a couple of things I wanted to bring up. It's interesting how similar these teams really are. You know, running backs, 
not all pros, not pro bowlers, but they got the job done. You know, a couple of receiving backs as well. But, you know, they stepped up in the right times and, and did their jobs. And I thought I thought that was interesting. But then the other thing I wanted to ask you, would you take Travis Kelsey over Anthony Gonzalez on, on a team today? I Dude, I knew you were going to say that. That, to me, is like the hardest one. You know, like, would you take Mahomes or Brady? Would you take Mahomes or Montana? But just for me, it's got to be because I watched him more. But, uh, you know, Travis Kelsey, I would take him. He's a mismatch for linebackers, even for DBs, a little bit more than I think Tony was. So I got to say Kelsey. What about you? Interesting. I, and maybe this is because the last couple episodes, actually, I think almost always taken the older team here so i think i have a bit more like i I have a bit more respect for the older teams like my instinct is tony gonzalez but i think that's just because he's the og you know and so i think i have a lot of respect for that but yeah i mean you can't i mean obviously you can't go wrong either way but i was i was just curious because you know you said best tight end you had ever seen and obviously that's very high praise in a NFL filled with tight ends that can do amazing things. Yeah, man. Uh, you'll, you'll see later. I'm going to use Travis Kelsey later again. And then, um, you know, you'll see where I rank him and it's it's pretty high. This is the most recent team that we've ever used, period. You know, in any sport, not just the NFL, you know, a 2019 Super Bowl winning team is the most recent champion we've ever used. And it's interesting because, you know, I get the benefit of telling you how many times all of my players are going to do great things into the future. And I get to say fun words like Hall of Fame inductee. But, you know, we, we that's the benefit of hindsight, right? As opposed to your team, you know, uh, potentially, you know, could do great things or, you know, Mahomes could be one and done. Who knows? You know, it seems unlikely right now. But, you know, you also look at Peyton Manning. You know, when he won his first Super Bowl, you thought it was going to be the first of five. So, you know, it's just it, it's interesting the, the the different things that we bring up for our different teams, you know, based on the based on the years they're from. So let's get into the debate. Let's get into our claims to fame, shall we? Let's do it. So I'm going to start things off here, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Joe Cool, the comeback kid. Joe Montana is entirely my first point. You know, I could talk about the offense of a whole, but Joe Montana is the thing that made this offense go. He is a three-time Super Bowl MVP, including the year that we are talking about today. He went 4-0 in Super Bowls. Wow. So when he made it to the big game, he made damn sure that he won the big game. You know, he is a playoff competitor. Mahomes, on the other hand, is 50%. He's one and one. You know, uh, I, I hate to I hate to bring it up, but, you know, it's just not, it's not the same. But second in career postseason touchdowns with 45, Joe Montana. In the four Super Bowl games, he went 83 of 122 passing, 1,142 yards passing, 11 touchdowns, and zero interceptions. So not only did he dominate, but he was safe with the ball. He stepped in, made comebacks when comebacks needed to be made, and not to mention Outside of the playoffs, in the regular season, overall, he led 32 career fourth quarter comebacks, including two, three, four, I think, total in the 1981 season and the regular season and the playoffs. So, you know, he was doing it from the offset. Obviously, the year prior, his rookie season, he went 6-10. and 10. Obviously not great, but 
you know, it takes an extraordinary talent. No rookie quarterback has ever made the Super Bowl, so it requires some NFL experience to make it there. But 1981 was really the defining year of his career. This was what made him Joe Montana. So I bring up all these numbers, you know, about how great he was throughout his entire career. And you say, well, this was 81, Joe Montana. You know, does that really apply? Yes, I think it does because every single year, you know, he was amazing. You know, he was the reason that this team won as much as it did because in 1981, he was still fairly impressive. He was the NFL leader in completion percentage with 63.7. You know, that goes back to that West Coast offense that I talked about with Bill Walsh. He had the fourth most completed passes with 311. He was eighth in yardage with 3,565 yards, so not the top top of the NFL, but obviously enough to get it done. He was fourth in passer rating with 88.4. He was second in the league in interceptions thrown with just 13, which helped the team have a league low 25 team turnovers. So despite being a young team, despite being a team that was built through the draft and through trading these last couple years, an extremely safe team. And Joe was the perfect example of that. Overall, they had the seventh highest scoring offense in the league with 22.3 points per game, which, you know, compared to the numbers that Cam's about to throw out, doesn't seem that impressive. But I want to mention the Cowboys and Bengals, the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl team that they played, both had higher points per game than the 49ers, but yet the 49ers were able to beat them both. So the 49ers really continued to build beyond this year around Joe Montana and really believed in him and what he could do for a variety of reasons because he could do it all. You watch him play and you can see, you know, you have moments where, you know, he breaks out of the pocket and he makes an incredible throw, you know, just like Mahomes does. You know, he puts his body at risk, you know, right at the line of scrimmage. He's about to get hit and he pulls up just short and makes the throw that nobody thinks he's going to make, you know, just like Mahomes and Kelsey. You know, I I keep relating it to the two, obviously, because we're talking today, but because they do have a lot in common. And I think that's where most of our listeners, you know, that's an easy comparison, you know, because they're two of the greatest players in the NFL right now. You know, and you have Montana and you have Clark, you know, making those same connections. You know, they, they, they see each other on the field and they can really have a groove together that I think really is going to make this offense click. And so that is going to sum up my first point. Joe Montana. Yeah, man, it's God. He he really is too. He's a favorite. When you think of 49ers football, you think of Joe Montana, you think of Steve Young, and you think of Jerry Rice. And you know there are hundreds of other players who are deserving to be in that top, um, you know that that top tier. But those are the guys right there. And Joe Montana just was a gamer, dude. Like just watching him play, he gave hope to all of us. All of us little dudes out there that, you know, you can make it. But this guy gets out of the pocket and that is where he was the greatest, in my opinion. And that's why I think it's so easy to draw comparisons to him and in Mahomes and stuff. So, um, yeah, man, Joe Montana is a great for a reason. Uh, let me get into my first claim to fame here. And uh, that's going to be the one-two punch on this Kansas City team. And that's Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. So I went over um, just some smaller numbers here. Tyreek Hill's numbers um, for 2019. He had 58 receptions on 89 targets. So that's good for uh, 65.2 catch percentage. 
he had 71.7 yards per game. Um, again, I've mentioned it before, small body, but just blazing speed, man. Um, he's, he stays really low to the, to the ground. If you watch his routes, which I say he stays low to the ground, it's pretty easy when you're under six foot, but you know, he stays really low to the ground, really sticks that pivot foot in. And, uh, I watched the whole video 2019 highlights, which there were 2018, 2017 highlights too, of him just shaking defenders, just running routes, not even when he had the ball yet. So, uh, yeah, great feet, great feet. Like I mentioned, he runs a lot of go routes. So this is how he'll get behind defenders. He puts one move on a corner, one move on a safety and, uh, you know, he's as good as gone. So you'll never see, um, a linebacker lined up on him. You'll never see defensive end lined up on him. That just won't happen. You need your best safety, your best corner on him at all times. And then the number one of this one-two punch is definitely Travis Kelsey. So Kelsey is 6'5", 260 pounds. He is a freak of nature, okay? He has a tight end's body, tight end's frame, but he runs routes just as good as a Tyree kill, damn near. He runs great routes, and I think that's why he he's always so open. So Travis Kelsey, almost 77 yards per game, and he had that one uh, rushing touchdown. He had 97 receptions on 136 targets, which was good for 71% uh, catch percentage. Very, very reliable. Um, considering, you know, a lot of those passes are going to be 20 yards or less. So most of those passes that he's catching are contested passes, which just proves how sure his hands really are. That yardage there was good for fourth in the NFL. So it was first for tight ends, but fourth in the whole NFL. So just stacks him up against other wide receivers. And then these are my numbers here, which is really why when you mentioned before him over Tony Gonzalez, are you crazy? Uh, Even though we're kind of on the same page with that, this is why. Travis Kelsey caught his 500th pass quicker than any other tight end in NFL history. Let that sink in for a second because yes, it's definitely a a more pass heavy league. And obviously you have Pat Mahomes throwing to you, but he caught his 500th pass quicker than any other tight end in history. Not only that, Travis Kelsey is the only tight end with four straight 1,000-yard NFL seasons. Um, And then just to square this out here, their combined stats, 2,089 yards, 12 touchdowns, 68 and a quarter catch percentage, real close to 70%. And then they combined for 2,089 of 4,690 total passing yards. And remember, Mahomes missed two games. So that's even with Mahomes missing two games and they collected a 45% team share. So they're almost accounting for half of the total volume on offense, which is ridiculous. Um, And I just think San Francisco never really saw a duo quite like Tyreek and Kelsey. But I will say, I'm giving you a bone here, Jay. The closest comparison that I could come up with was that Cincinnati Bengals team where you had wide receiver Chris Collinsworth over 1,000 yards and tight end Dan Ross just over 900. Um, so those numbers were really, really similar and you know, it kind of hurts myself saying this, but they did beat that Bengals team twice. So could they handle a workload, you know, like Tyreek Hill and Kelsey? Absolutely. But you know, I can't say that Chris Collinsworth is even close to Tyreek Hill and that Dan Ross is close to, to Travis Kelsey. That being said, they still beat him twice. And uh, my main concern is definitely going to be the defense. So uh, take it away, my man. Yeah, a lot of respect to Kelsey and Tyreek Hill for obvious reasons, everything that you just mentioned. But what a fantastic receiving duo to have on your team. You know, it's hard to say that you would take any other receiving core 
in the NFL over Kelsey and Hill, you know, of any other team right now. But let me get into the 49ers defense. So I had a hard time picking a particular reason why the defense would be my claim to fame. So I'm just going to talk about the whole gosh dang thing, because a lot of these players were absolutely incredible for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, the other reason is because it, it was a little more difficult this time around to find a lot of defensive stats. You know, sacks weren't officially counted until somewhere in the mid 80s you know so you had a lot of those stats missing and then even combined tackles was a a tough stat to come by so you know a lot of these guys I was able to get into a lot more of what made them special especially in this season so and 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 hopefully uh hopefully I can convince you here why this defense stands a chance at least against the high-powered Kansas City offense So I'm going to start with the defensive backs. The first, second, and third round picks of the 1981 NFL draft for the 49ers were committed to defensive backs. Carlton Williamson, the strong safety I mentioned earlier, was the third round pick. Eric Wright, the cornerback, was in the second round. And future Hall of Famer Ronnie Lott was the eighth overall pick in the NFL draft. These three, along with Dwight Hicks, who was in his third year in the league, turned this defense around. Everyone else on this team talked about how the defensive back group were always the first ones in and the last ones out every single day of practice. You know, they were worked harder than anybody else because, I mean, you had no room for error. You you could not let one of these guys slip or, you know, the whole thing comes tumbling down. You know, rookies are such, not a fragile thing, but you just never know how it's going to go. And so these this co- this coaching staff with these players was really something special, you know, and how they pushed and pulled together and how they really came up with a game plan to make them a great NFL secondary so early in their career. And like I said, most of them stuck around for their entire career in San Francisco. So they've always been a big reason why they kept making it back to the Super Bowl and back to the NFC Championship game. And now moving down a little bit, I want to talk about a couple particular defensive line members and linebackers. So I'll start with the pro bowler, Fred Dean. The best way that I could describe Fred Dean is by telling you this story about him, is that when he got traded to the 49ers, he showed up that week and played against the Dallas Cowboys, the best team in the NFC. And he was... I will not say the primary reason they won because they absolutely blew them out in the regular season, but he absolutely destroyed their offensive line during that game. He was a monster. You know, he came in and you kind of get this mad dog mentality from him, but he knew his stuff. He knew how to, he knew how to learn. He knew, he knew the game to its core. You know, he's just one of those guys that knew how to ball and he's really just an an incredible force. And uh, he's going to be an absolute storm in this game. But then on the other side, you know, you have linebacker Hacksaw Reynolds. You know, I mentioned him earlier. He's the veteran, but everyone talked about how smart 
he was. You know, linebackers, it's always easy to praise, you know, how strong they are, how fast they are, you know, how many tackles, how many sacks, how many interceptions. Hacksaw Reynolds, despite having the nickname Hacksaw, was an intelligent guy. He was a player's coach. You know, he was the guy that was rushing over to the sideline to be able to get the X's and O's in his hands to show everybody what he was talking about. You know, he was the guy that was in the film room right next to the assistant coaches drawing up plays and and, and telling everybody, you know, this works, this doesn't work. You know, he... He was a student of the game to the very core, and you don't see that a lot from you know out, outside of the quarterback position, I think. And so you know that was something special to see. And then you have one of the main reasons, one of the mainstays of the San Francisco defense. You have Keena Turner, another linebacker. This was his second season in the NFL. He'd be a one-time Pro Bowler during his career, but. He was the guy that was going to be there for every single snap. You know, there were several years where he played every single snap in the entire season, which is an absolutely incredible feat. So he's durable. He is there. He is a a method of consistency for this defense, no matter what the play call might be. To drop some stats on you, though, they went from 26th and 27th in the year before in points allowed and yards allowed, respectively, to second in both categories so they were the second best team in the entire nfl in points allowed and yards allowed they were third in team takeaways with 48 turnovers forced they were fourth in yards per play allowed at 4.7 fourth in opponents average qb rating at 60.2 so incredibly effective at limiting quarterback success success rates They were third in passing yards allowed and second in rushing touchdowns allowed with just 10. 10 rushing touchdowns all season long. So they're going to be able to bottle up whichever way whichever way the Kansas City Chiefs decide to attack. You know, whether it is through Damian Williams, like he, he came to life in the playoffs, you know, I think the 49ers, this 49ers team is going to be able to contain them. You know, I think the, the Super Bowl team was great for a lot of different ways, but, you know, it, you don't get a sense that some of those players are all-time great players, you know, and I think you know, that is what you did have here with Re- Ronnie Lott, Fred Dean are going to be absolute menaces on this field, and I think, you know, they have the energy to and the physical ability to keep up with the most athletic Kansas City Chief players. Yeah, dude, that's uh, 48 takeaways is disgusting. The fact that it's third is kind of, that's disgusting as well um 10 rushing touchdowns that's not even one rushing touchdown a game so they they had the ability to just shut down a whole portion of an offense and i think another comparison that we can make is the change in defense from year to year so yours is definitely way more dramatic than mine going from you know second to last third to last in some categories to second in the next year um but the same thing for me this chiefs defense kind of was the reason why they didn't make it all the way in 2018 but 2019 that changed they made a bunch of new additions they changed kind of their defensive alignment um and it worked out for them just like your 49ers team here you ended with your defense and i'm gonna go right into my offense you know right now to my claim to fame number two which is patty mahomes and the high-powered kansas city offense i kind of broke them down into two separate categories but um you know, I'll try to fly through it a little bit if I can. So I'll start with the magician, Showtime, aka the buzzsaw known as Patrick Mahomes. 
Uh, he is the or was the 2018 league MVP. He's coming off of a season where he threw 50 freaking touchdowns. He did have 12 interceptions, but when you throw 50 touchdowns, you can throw 20 interceptions and most people aren't even going to bat an eye. He was 24-7 and in his first 31 career starts. Um, he had 319 completions on 484 attempts. That's a 65.9 um, completion percentage, good for 11th in the NFL. He threw for just about 288 yards per game, which was 7th in the NFL. In the first two games in 2019, Kansas City scored 68 points. Mahomes threw for over 800 yards. Um, you know, yeah, they, they didn't play great teams in their first two games. To score 68 points and you're throwing for, you know, 400 yards a game, that's incredible. The truth is Mahomes is just something special that I don't think we're ever going to see again. On the season, Mahomes was intercepted on exactly 1% of his pass attempts. The only person that's better than that uh, and has been better than that is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is intercepted on 0.7% of his throws, which is, you know, you're in great company there if you're with Aaron Rodgers. He's known for not turning the ball over. Um, And then I had to put this in there. Mahomes threw a touchdown on 5.5% of his pass attempts. (laughs) So (laughs) he's more likely to throw a touchdown than an interception. Um, you know, by, by quite a margin there. And then last number for Mahomes, uh, passing, he was second in the league in his QBR with 77.7. So I know 49ers keep, um, you know, their quarterbacks under, I want to say it was 60, but you know, he had a 77.7 QBR rating. That is phenomenal. Again, doesn't turn the ball over much. Um, let's get into that comparison again, the rushing stats, Mahomes had 218 yards on 43 attempts and two touchdowns. So, um, you know, he's very capable of keeping up with uh, Montana's numbers outside of the pocket. And then um, I'll leave you with some numbers here for this high-powered Kansas City offense. They scored 451 total points. That was good for fifth in the NFL. They were fifth in passing yards with 4,498. And then sixth in total yards with 6,067. I am definitely going on the record here saying if Mahomes didn't miss two games, they'd probably be in top three in all those categories. Uh, that's just kind of, you know, crunching my own numbers, doing some averages and stuff. But the point of this Kansas City, this high-powered offense, is that they had a handful of huge playmakers at their disposal. Um, I already mentioned the speed of Tyreek Hill and McCole Hardman, you know, a guy that could change the game at any moment. But that was often enough to keep teams off balance. But if it wasn't, then you add in Travis Kelsey, who I have said is, I think, is the best tight end in the league. And then Sammy Watkins and Damian Williams as well. Sammy Watkins had a big game uh, in the playoffs and has had big games in his career. And then Damian Williams had a, an NFL a long touchdown of 91 yards that season. So any of them can bust a big play at any time. You know, Mahomes in this offense scored less than 23 points only one time. And there you go, Jay. I told you I was going to put it in there. <laughs> they scored less than 23 points one time, and that was against the Colts in a game that they lost, 13-19. You keep them under 23 points, you win the game. Um, they had 10 games with 30 or more points scored, which also was three straight in the playoffs. And then my last little number here, the kicker, Harrison Butker, actually led the NFL in scoring with 147 points. Yeah, that that offense is definitely nothing to sneeze at, um, to say the least of it. So yeah, the 49ers are going to have their hands fill once again with, uh, with, with everything that 
they're going to be throwing at them. And I think the biggest thing is they can't get complacent, you know, like their 2019 future team did. You know, they, they've got to be there. And I, I do think that they are going to be capable of that and not letting up for the entire game. Okay, now we're on. Whew, now we got X factors. I like where you went with yours for sure. I almost went special teams too. Yeah, let's talk X factors. So I'm going to talk about kicker Ray Wershing. Wershing tied the Super Bowl record with four field goals in 1981. So he's able to make field goals in big games. I think he's going to be able to do the same in this game. All pro in 1986, so the best kicker in the league in 1986. And the only person in the last 50 years, this is more of a fun fact for you, to make a fair catch kick. Do you even know what that is, Cam? You know what, man? I looked it up, but I did not know what it was before. Why don't you tell everybody? So basically, to put it to put it in simplest terms as possible, apparently when you catch a fair catch, you have the ability to instead forego playing a set of downs, you know, playing the game as usual, and instead kicking a field goal. And you can do this, you know, from any spot on the field, and the defense has to stand at least 10 yards back when when you kick it. Now, obviously, this isn't done because, well, if you're within field goal range, you're obviously going to take a set of downs, you know, because, you know, you're going to try to get a touchdown. But if you're out of field goal range, then obviously you're out of field goal range when you get the fair catch. So these things just don't happen very often unless it's the end of the half or the end of the game. Ray Wershing is the last guy to make one. Well, to be the to be the only person in the last 50 years to do anything, um, especially with like how creative people are in this day and age in the NFL, <laughs> that's pretty damn cool. And then something I had never seen before in my life, punter Jim Miller, he was... 10th in the league in yards per punt. You know, great, good. Top third of the league, uh, uh, wonderful. He had zero blocks, so safe with the ball, he was able to get it off. And thank God he had zero blocks, Cam, because this man kicked the ball barefoot. I didn't know this was a thing before I saw him in the NFC Championship game and I just looked at my TV screen, jaw agape, because I could not believe I was seeing somebody punt barefooted. I had to double take two. Okay, here comes Jim Miller for the punt. And as always, the righty kicker's got one shoe on his left foot, not on his kicking foot. And I'm like, you're kidding. Yeah. It, what happens when the guy has to make a tackle or something? Exactly. Well, see, that's, that was the thing that I looked immediately. I, I went and started Googling and I was like, oh, I need to know more about this guy. I didn't realize this was a thing. The, the, he wasn't the only one. This was an this was an 80s fad. You know, the, there were barefoot kickers all over in the NFL, place kickers and punters throughout 1980 to 1990. And then they just, they, they came and went. It, it was the strangest thing I had ever learned about in my entire life. I had no idea this was ever a thing. This seems like it should be illegal. And it seems like it's a terrible idea. But I had to go. I had to go to my guru. I went and I, and I did Googling and sure enough, Pat McAfee's take on barefoot kickers, and you know, I I I learned from the legend himself that he he said, you know, these guys they started to do what they do because, you know, that that top bone in your foot is actually is incredibly hard, you know, one of the hardest bones in your body, and so instead of having a sock, you know, or, or a cleat or anything, you know, just 
that bone supposedly allowed these kickers to you know kick the ball a lot further or or have more control over it than you know if if you had a normal cleat on i had to bring it up somewhere maybe it's not my best x factor ever but barefooted punter i mean that's it's it's gotta it's gotta at least you know put the put the confusion in the defensive special team at least once <laughs> hey i'm with that man that's a good x factor anything that you can think of that might change the game i'm gonna go with something that i really thought it was an x factor for the chiefs this season some people would say it was damian williams but he was only the x factor in the playoffs and while that really really matters um i'm gonna go with the sneaky good kansas city defense So um, the Chiefs allowed under 20 points per game, which was seventh in the NFL. They were tied for 10th in takeaways. The Chiefs had 23. Of those 23 takeaways, 16 were interceptions. So that was fifth in the NFL. And then they were eighth in QB knockdowns with 53. So Steve uh, Spagnuolo, he learned under um, Philly's defensive coach, Jim Johnson, one of Philly's great coaches, um, and, and still uses the same blitz heavy approach, right? So, uh, they didn't blitz as much as like the Ravens who blitzed on like 60%, but you can't blitz on every drop back because you're going to get burned eventually. So they still blitzed a lot when they could 29%. Smagnola uses this four, three base defense, which it's base defense because it is your most basic defense, but he had a really heavy emphasis on multiple blitz packages involving corners and safeties as well that confuses the offense um you know quarterbacks often taking hits that he can't see in those scenarios um but that just goes to show hence why the signing of Matthew and uh, Bashad Breeland was so huge because this is this was Spagnuolo's thing I need you know defensive backs that I can blitz because that's what my package is about um and then this defense was fourth in the NFL in uh QB completion percentage with 60.5 percent and then two little things here. They actually held Derrick Henry to 69 rush yards in that playoff game. Henry only ran for under 69 yards three times the whole season. So, um, you know, they put down the clamps when they when they really, really needed to. And, and that's a big reason why they won the game. And then uh, the 49ers did have two or more turnovers um, in 10 of 18 games, including the playoffs, where... Um, You know, Montana and the 49ers had six turnovers in one game. But yeah, I'm not going to say that this defense is better than the 49ers defense because they're definitely not. Uh, But to say that they can slow down Montana and to say that they can slow down, um, you know, Dwight Clark, that great, great core of pass catchers, I think they can. Yeah, I would give them credit to at least put up a fight. I think generally i think both offenses are going to dominate this game i don't think you're going to see either team score less than 20 but i do give the kansas city defense to not allow not to not allow a blowout let's say that yeah that's fair you know they didn't really do much all year to prove that they're going to shut teams out um but you know they did enough to to win games and it was more than just the offense in the playoffs it was for sure the defense too so i had to give them some love there oh yeah a lot of respect for for defenses that ben don't break baby but you know what whatever works works but uh shall we uh 
get into the last part of the show here? Let's do it, man. Let's get into our stat lines and then our simulations. So he would take this thing once and for all. So I will uh, start things off here. I just want to, we want to give you a couple predictions of, of what we might see in this game. You know, a couple of key stat lines. And I'm going to start with uh, Joe Montana. I think we're going to see 23 of 33, so about a, about that 60% completion percentage, 245 yards, two touchdowns, and uh, give you this one for free, one interception for old Joe because of that game against the Cowboys where he had a few. So I'm 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 being realistic here. There we go. I like that. You see, that's a good sport. It's mostly because you've kicked my ass in the last three simulations, but uh, <laughs> you know I'll take it. So thank you, Jay. Um, pretty similar. I mean, this goes with our episode. I mean, I had to put Mahomes pretty much right there. 26 of 36, um, 295 yards, so about 50 more than Montana. And then I've got Mahomes with two touchdowns, no interceptions. Mahomes is going to be running for his life in this game for sure. Um, but yeah, 295 yards, two touchdowns. And I know we usually go offensive during these portions, but I wanted to give a little love to the defense. So I'm going to go with my rookie future Hall of Famer, Ronnie Lott at cornerback. I'm going to give him an interception in this game. So directly counter to what you just said, or maybe Matt Moore comes in for a down and gets busted by Ronnie Lott, whichever which way, but he's going to get his due. I'm going to say three deflected passes on top of that with five tackles. So I think he's going to be all over this game. That's a good stat line for him. And I mean, he's he can play well above that. So I like that. I like that. Um, I'm going to go with my guy here. Got to go with Travis Kelsey. I'm going to go uh, seven catches on nine targets, pretty standard for him, um, and I'm going to say 86 yards, one touchdown, and then uh, he's going to have one catch about 30 yards long. That'll be his longest catch of the day. Uh, he's he, he's a big play guy, but uh, he doesn't really score long touchdowns. It, it's not hard to imagine that 30-yard pass whatsoever, so that, that makes perfect sense, but... I want to tell you about my highlight play. So this is the play that I think could be the turning point in the game that could be the big moment that you go back to when you look at this game and it it totally changes everything. So I think you're going to see Fred Dean powering through the offensive line and earning two sacks in a single set of downs. Fred Dean, that's your guy. That's your big man. And uh, I'm sure, uh, actually, I did see it in one game where he had two sacks in a single set of downs. So that's totally possible. My highlight play, however, is got to be... I got to go with Mahomes. So Mahomes, he's going to escape a sack in the red zone. You know, his team's trying to score. This is going to be in the fourth quarter here. He gets tackled from behind by yours truly, Fred Dean, but not before throwing an underhand shovel pass to Damian Williams for a crucial first down late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I'll buy it. I'll absolutely buy it. Obviously, it's Patrick Mahomes. You know, you, you can't you can't say no to anything. But um, I have one more wild prediction for you. I think San Francisco is going to lose the turnover battle and still win this game. Ooh, I love it. You got some stones, man. And then I'm going to go with, for my wild prediction, it's going to be Montana throwing two interceptions, right? That's realistic. He does that. Quarterbacks do that. However, one thing that didn't happen all year for the Chiefs was Tyron Matthews scoring a touchdown. So... I am going to say Montana throwing two interceptions, 
but one of them is going to be returned for a touchdown by the Honey Badger, and uh, that's going to help seal the game for my Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty bold claim, you know, considering all all, all factors involved. I think you're right in the fact that this game could come down to one, two, maybe three key turnovers. So I think uh, I, I think anything's possible here. Yeah, and then to go straight into um, the final score predictions, I'm going uh, Kansas City 31 to San Francisco 28, um, which totally makes sense. I think anything more than three points, anything more than a touchdown just wouldn't be fair, wouldn't be quite accurate. So, yep, I'm going Kansas City, taking the dub, 31-28. to So, for my final score, I actually have the same score for San Francisco. I'm going San Francisco, 28. However, going Kansas City, scoring 27. So, I am going for a one-point victory for my San Francisco 49ers and paying a little homage to the catch. You know, this is the same score that they were able to beat the Cowboys by, and I think... You could see the same thing here today, and I think that it's a good way to portray that they are capable of making this happen against you know a team that might be physically superior, that might be a little bit faster, but... You know they have the they have the stones to get it done. I think it's got it's got to be a close game between these two teams. Um, if anything else, we know that Mahomes and Montana are going to do their thing. Um, but you know, really, this game is going to be up to the defense. And uh, you know, you've got a lot of confidence in your 49ers defense, and as you should. So yeah, I really love the score and nice little homage there to the to the catch. So I like that too. So shall we decide who will actually win this ultimate sports mashup? Whew, I'm nervous. I'm sweating over here, but uh, I got faith. We are on whatifsports.com where we have selected our two teams here. We have, uh, are you good with the away team being the 12-4 and four Kansas City Chiefs versus the home team San Francisco 49ers at 13-3? and three? I'll choose a neutral site, but, you know, just for... Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that that's that's fair. Oh, oh by the way, this is going to be two out of three, so this isn't one and done. You know, so we are going to you know do best two out of three. So let's see who's going to win game number one. And we have our results. We have the 1981 San Francisco 49ers pulling off the win here, 17 to nine. Wow, what that is uh, not quite in line with our predictions here. Interesting. Joe Montana, 287 and one touchdown. Pretty modest game. Patrick Mahomes, only 13 for 22. Wow. Interesting results from the What If Sports matchups. Let's get into game number two, shall we? Oh, and you got it. The Kansas City Chiefs winning 19 to 16. All these low-scoring games are interesting, but Kansas City pulls it off here. There you go. Travis Kelsey, 38-yard touchdown pass to kick off the game two minutes in. Wow. And then you have a second quarter filled with four field goals, two for each team. And this game went to overtime. Oh my gosh. You have Harrison Butker kicking the game-winning field goal in overtime from 38 yards away. Incredible. Oh, that's my boy. Guess you should have gone with special teams for your X Factor. (laughs) See, I was telling you I should have went for it, but... Wow, 19 to 16 in OT. I love it. Oh, but yeah, Patty Mahomes, 12 for 20, 146, one touchdown, one interception. What if Sports is really putting a lot of a uh, lot of stock into this 49ers defense and oh, at the bottom here. Oh no, Ray Wershing, 
made three field goals but missed two as well would have won the game for him maybe if he maybe if the kicker had kicked barefoot instead of the punter he would have made him exactly <laughs> here we go we have our rubber match am i gonna go four and oh in the ultimate sports mashup let's find out no and the kansas city chiefs are gonna win 23 to 21 and the crowd goes wild in arrowhead ah oh man joe joe montana 16 for 22 184 two touchdowns but yeah that interception yeah that's pretty close to my stat line actually but then you have patrick mahomes 15 for 23 almost the exact same stat line 168 for yardage two touchdowns one interception the 2019 kansas city chiefs come out on top i i imagine that is going to make many (laughs) many modern fans of the nfl very happy today yep yeah they they're definitely gonna be happy and i'm one of them we were talking about before the show if we wanted to do the 1984 49ers or not um truth be told that team that 84 Niners team was one of a kind and uh even this Chiefs team would have had a really really hard time so we thought just to make it a little more interesting let's throw in the 81 team still Super Bowl champs but not quite the juggernaut and it made for a great episode and at least it went three games we definitely want to get an episode in there of joe montana versus steve young like that has to be done that is something that will be just as epic as kobe versus kobe so little foreshadowing for you guys we don't know when uh but it's gonna happen eventually so make sure you guys are with us man that is all we have for you today on episode number nine of the ultimate sports mashup as always two historic teams came into battle but only one left as the ultimate champion if you want to continue to travel back through the sports time continuum to help us create some of the best what if sports mashups of all time follow us on facebook and instagram at ultimate sports mashup you know make sure you're you're finding us on those social media so you can let us know what teams do you want to hear us talk about you know like cam said mlb is in full swing the nfl draft's coming up you know do you have any favorite rookie seasons anything like that we want to hear from you so make sure you get in contact with us at ultimate sports mashup but until the next sport and the next decade i've been jay and i'm cam see you next time